AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Uh, Today, I'm delighted to have on the show, Nicola Miotto, who is the head of data at Upday. Uh, Welcome to the show, Nicola. Hello, Anthony. Thank you. Yeah, so so Nicola, give us a little bit of, of overview about yourself, your background, what led you into moving into data? You know, your background is is coming very traditionally software and also mobile development focused, which is which is really really good. So you've got you know quite a quite a broad experience before moving into the world of data and data science. How did you start off in software, and and, and how did you get to where you are now? So well, um, it all started at the university. I studied uh, computer science, um, had my bachelor there, and then um, I specialized uh, two years in um, artificial intelligence. After that, uh, I moved to Berlin, and yeah, I just wanted to start working on something, to start doing something, and uh, mobile development uh, was like the most appealing um, type of job or kind of work that I found. Uh, I think after um, two or three years that I was working on a couple of startups, I started uh, working as a backend software engineer. I was attracted by developing systems that could handle uh, big amounts of uh, users, basically. Then that I was working for a couple of projects first, and then I moved to Upday, my current company. We have been doing a little bit of uh, artificial intelligence-related things because the app itself is a news recommendation, so it integrates a little bit these topics. Uh, But after a while, I wanted to um, that we actually treated uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, with more respect somehow. Uh, Not that uh, if there is a feature, then we might think of doing it uh, with a nice statistical model, but more like, okay, having a data team that uh, supports the company both in terms of uh, serving data, but also in terms of serving features based on data. So where we start with that mindset already. And after two years and a half, um, I started proposing a few more uh, consistent projects that we could uh, work on with more up-to-date technologies. And um, in the meantime, uh, we started building a data team with this only purpose of building the warehouse at that time. But uh, slowly, uh, we became more and more integrated also into developing uh, features, uh, basically developing more end-user products for uh, based on data, based on uh, machine learning methods. And yeah, so I started working more as a machine learning engineer, and then I uh, moved up to basically handling the data team, uh, whose responsibility, as I said, are both uh, data ingestion and uh, and provisioning for the company, and also uh, working on machine learning models for different use cases. Okay, 
Great. Oh, look, that's good. Thanks for the overview of your of your background. So you mentioned um, the way you work at Update. You have really high standards around data quality. So it's it's one of the first places you should you should really be looking if you're looking to have a data science or a machine learning function within your business. Often overlooked as well. Why is data quality so important at Update? The main reason is probably 90% of the reason is that we need to trust, be able to trust the data. So we don't have an external analytics platform or anyone uh, getting the data for us. So we have everything built in-house. We moved from outside the technologies to in-house technologies. As a company, uh, if you don't trust your data, you're stuck. So Update takes business decisions based on data, uh, develops uh, its own its own recommendation uh, technology based on data. Our journalists actually are uh, targeting uh, users based on the data that we have. So if uh, our data has issues, uh, is inconsistent or uh, has anomalies, the the effect will be spread all over the company, uh, like. An anomalous change in some metrics, uh, like the number of users that we have uh, in a day, can have a huge impact in the decisions that uh, are going to be done uh, in the company, right? And this is problem number one. Problem number two. So Update is a news app, uh, both aggregator and uh, curated, that is pre-installed on uh, all Samsung devices. That's where we get the majority of our traffic from. Uh, the problem is, not the problem, it's uh, just the, the environment we're working on. By being pre-installed, um, we have pretty um, unusual release cycles. That means that uh, once we prepare a new release, we give it to Samsung, they will do the QA, they will uh, bounce it back to us for some improvements, and maybe after one month, even more, we have the release in the store. So if we release a bug, if we release uh, anything that uh, brings inconsistency to the data, we will have it for, for at least a month. It's, uh, and given that the company is basically data-driven and most of, it, most of what we do is based on uh, data, we cannot afford that. Uh, and that's why we're being really strict. Uh, we, we need to be sure that uh, no bugs go to production and that, and that we know exactly if there is a problem where it is and uh, as early as possible and how to fix, uh, fix it as quickly as possible. Okay. So how do you use, well, I suppose not so much how do you police the, the, the quality, but if we go through first, you know, what do you consider uh, high quality data? And then if we talk about how do you set the guidelines and ensuring that, that that data is high quality. I know you mentioned uh, Samsung do Q&A, but I'm sure you have some processes in place uh, to ensure that you aren't sending poor quality data to Samsung and you are becoming, I suppose, look, without saying it, you are becoming a difficult partner to deal with on the data side. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, even because <laughs> a lot of the reports that we do are for them as well, right? Uh, no, the, the policing is done um, in different ways. So we have the pure, uh, pure uh, the process. Uh, we have different stages of uh, of release. So basically, issues can happen in the tracking most of it, more mostly. Uh, 
uh, we have a, a release process where already in, in the phase of development, the users know whether they are introducing issues. We have um, the app keeps being built uh, on an hourly basis, and the, basically the developers know immediately if some fundamental quality checks uh, fail. What are these quality checks? Anything like uh, we have a uh, we have a way to define um, what uh, our events are supposed to be. So what the name are, what attributes they should have, uh, what kind of attributes as well. So the types, and um, if anything does not comply to this, then there will be uh, an alert. This is phase one. Then we do uh, the first uh, release into the Play Store. And at that point, uh, we have a wealth, and this is the stuff, the part that comes from the software engineering background, but we have a wealth of monitors uh, that are looking into the data that we receive. So um, if from the release to the Play Store, we see that uh, the swipes per users, for instance, are going anomalously higher than the previous version or anonymously lower than the previous version, then we will get an alert. So we get alerted already in the first stage of the release uh, about all the anomalies that are uh, concerning the data quality. Just to mention a detail, the release to the Play Store, um, that comes without overhead. It's what we do before sending the, um, the release to Samsung for the pre-installed version. So we can do that part of the release process in order to check whether there are problems. On top of that, we have uh, all our uh, all our BI teams that are actually looking into the KPIs. So is this version showing something anomalously different than the previous version? So we have both an automated and a human um, check on the data that we are receiving. After that is clear, then we release. And most of most of the times we don't have issues or the so-called data cleasms, as uh, we name them uh, lately. And uh, yeah, we use some technologies to do anomaly detection on the data that is uh, pretty advanced. It was pretty nice, actually, and uh, overall, it's working pretty well. Do you mind sharing the, the names of those anomaly detection tools? Yeah, so we track uh, all the metrics uh, into Datadog, which is basically a time series database with some functionalities on top to uh, plot your data. And it allows you to set up monitors or metrics, and they provide out of the box um, um, ways of uh, alerting you for anything, for thresholds not being met or for anomalies that you can configure. Uh, there are, they have different algorithms implemented. And overall, it works pretty well, actually. So that's what we use. We, whenever we run our data pipelines, um, be it for data that, uh, that we are ingesting or be it for uh, predictions that we are running, we send all the metrics to Datadog and we will then configure monitors to alert us in case of problems. Maybe one thing I didn't add, this is not only being applied for uh, the events, so the raw data that we are tracking, but also for the data that we are producing for the company. We have models in production that are uh, predicting uh, demographic information of the users because we are not collecting them. Uh, a, I mean, unless the user wants to share that data, good, otherwise uh, we don't ask for it. So we try to infer uh, their demographic information for different purposes. 
And uh, even when we do the inference, uh, then we track um, the distribution of the labels, uh, the amount of users that have been predicted, all sorts of metrics into Datadog. And then if there is an anomaly, I don't know, in the distributions of sexes, for instance, of genders, sorry, um, or in the distributions of ages, then we will get an alert and we will be ready to look into the what has happened. Maybe the data somehow change it, uh, uh, some distribution change it, or uh, maybe there was a, an issue with the pipelines, anything. Yeah. Okay. So that takes us on to like the kind of next topic here. And if you're looking to build a high quality, high performing data team, it's another topic uh, that you really need to consider besides data quality, which would be having good data infrastructure. Um, again, it's it's a topic that's very close to you because you're coming from a software development background. Uh, you you have that that sort of experience before, but you know if you're coming straight into to try and build data science without having this good quality data infrastructure, you know what are what are the setbacks you can see down the line that can happen with without having all these proper processes in play or or being prepared to scale. Uh, the first, the one the top one is uh, that we cannot trust what we're seeing, basically. Think about it as a scientist that is searching for, uh, that is looking into the distribution of some user events just to make a click prediction model, for instance. He has to trust that the data is right. Otherwise, he, he, might, he might see things that are not explainable and not understand whether it's because the data is intrinsically noisy or because there is a problem, right? So being sure that the uh, data you're providing, not only to the outside, uh, but also to, to your teams, uh, is a necessity. Otherwise, you're basically stuck. Or think, um, I mean, we do, we, we run, continuously run A-B tests uh, to check that the features uh, that we want to push are, are improving, basically, the current state. If we cannot trust the data, then anything that comes from the A-B test is completely useless. Uh, so, okay, did this work better because uh, it was really good or because there was an error in the data? And, the, the, and then the topmost use case is business. So we are making uh, projections, estimations, forecasts based on the data that we have. If the data is not reliable, is not trustworthy, then basically the business is stuck. And we have stakeholders like Samsung that are uh, demanding a little bit of accuracy in this regard, right? Um, so for this reason, we need to we need to be able to trust our data, and therefore, uh, the the infrastructure has to uh, be designed so to provide that. And uh, the other thing is, um, it needs to keep working. So we cannot be one day or two days uh, without data because uh, the pipelines broke or because we don't know why. There has to be a system that allows us to know when something is not working and why it's not working, and that allows us to fix us as soon as uh, fix it as soon as possible. This is the only way that we have to be a fully data-driven company, basically. So then, if you look into the future and you want to build um, a data science function in the future, how are you going to build your data infrastructure? To be able to support uh, to support a data science function, yeah, data science 
it's it's something that we're working on now. So supporting data science uh, with infrastructure is uh, it's something that we have been looking at for the past uh, years. So I have been uh, doing data science myself and have stumbled upon problems. Um, so I can tell you what it was uh, in the beginning so that it's maybe clear what are the hiccups, what it is now, and like my vision for the future. Um, also considering what other companies are doing. So typical work of a data scientist. Uh, you have a machine learning problem. The data scientist needs to get the data, look into it, make some experiments, and then put the model to production once um, he or she is uh, confident enough. So these simple three steps can be a huge annoyance unless uh, there is some infrastructural support. To mention the very first problem, which we had at the very beginning, uh, getting the data that you need. So at the very beginning, the data scientists would have to uh, like go through many different databases, uh, search uh, different types of data that would actually need to be together in order to be analyzed from many different tables in the warehouse. Taking ages before uh, he or she manages to have his own data set that he can start working on. So the first step that we have done there is, uh, well, apart from having a proper data warehouse that gets the data from all the parts of the company and puts it into one place, um, so at least to have a standard uh, or unique uh, entry point for uh, getting data, um, we're also starting to build um, uh, like uh, aggregations or tables uh, directly finalized, uh, directly aimed uh, at data scientists. So if a data scientist, uh, for instance, needs to analyze uh, frequently, uh, in our example, like uh, article, articles, users, and statistics about the uh, way that the users be uh, that the users behave with the article. So I don't know how many times they click on each article, or um, how much time they were spending on the articles, or some derived uh, information like uh, did this user spend more time than average in this article? So might it be that he likes it only for just looking at it? So all these sort of statistics, usually the data scientists would have to fetch all the raw data, put it together, aggregate it, build it, and then have the data set. Now we started building um, uh, pipelines that are aimed at producing the data for the data scientists so that the next time that they need the same data, they can easily fetch it. Um, I think in the current jargon, these are called feature stores. Although like we didn't call it like this because yeah, we started doing it before. Um, but I guess this is one of the things that uh, we are doing now to support the data scientists and something that we need to keep doing. So produce data that is uh, easily consumable by data scientists so that they don't have to waste two days just for uh, getting what they need. Second thing that was a pain at the beginning was, okay, we have a lot of data now, where do we put it? Where now a local machine, for instance, in our laptop, and then we start working from there. But if the data is a lot, then you need to take only a sample of it because otherwise, uh, if you want to run a, whatever, like a, a neural network, uh, you're doomed. 
uh, or you need to wait days uh, so um, or you don't have enough memory so we wanted to provide a way for uh, the data scientist to easily do uh, his or her own research so we have um, a standard environment uh, that basically just from the very high level perspective the data scientist can say okay I need uh, this kind of resources, I don't know, a computer with these CPUs and this uh, amount of RAM, and then click a button and there will be an instance, uh, we are running on AWS, so full disclosure, uh, an instance with this specification with already everything that is needed uh, to start working. So there will be a Jupyter notebook uh, running, all the most common dependencies already there, and on top this is um, uh, directly connected to our um, cloud storage so that everything that is produced using, during this research uh, phase, so intermediary data, uh, data sets, for instance, is automatically stored in a place where it's not going to be lost and where it's easily um, uh, usable by other people. Third, which is a huge problem and it took really a lot of time before we could straighten out the solution, is basically during experimentation you need to be able to uh, track what you're doing so you do a lot of experiments and uh, you use it all the different parameters a lot of different data data sets different models you want at the end of the uh, of this uh, deep research phase to be able to look back and say okay this is what i've done these are the results this is now the comparison between them and this is my conclusion also, you want to be able some other people to do it. Uh, so you want to allow other people to do the same, basically. And when you go on holiday, you want some other data scientists to pick up the work for you. So then I suppose moving on to some of the, the models then that users are actually using. Users use obviously recommendations uh, for your news streams that come through the application. I myself am a Samsung user. I've seen this very much firsthand. Uh, I've got to say it's it's definitely hitting the uh, hitting the right buttons for me um, in, in terms of, of the type of news that, that I'm getting alerted to. Um, give us the, some background on, on how this recommendation is built. It's continuously being worked on. So what I say now will be different in a few months, most likely. But um, so we started off with uh, a simple uh, principle the day that we started uh, with update. Um, In-house, we have a lot of uh, journalistic expertise. So um, we were able to get insights on what attracts the user the most in terms of uh, news content from, uh, from, from experts, from a human perspective somehow. And so we decided to build a system that was basically um, a mixture of uh, machine uh, curated and human perspective uh, perspectives on the content. What we had come up with was um, this system that we call uh, the Symphony. So the app basically provides a, a single stream of news. Um, you can deep dive into some of them, but the main use case and the main uh, feature is a single stream of news. We needed to decide a way on how do we distribute this news in the stream. So the first simple solution would have been we take the whole content that we get every day, we rank it according to some user behavioral information, and then we show it to the user. But this was very inefficient. 
and also unlikely to bring uh, a good result, most likely, because the content is so much. So we decided to split the stream into some parts that we call uh, nodes. So each block of the stream represents a subset of uh, the news uh, kingdom. Um, and also um, it's produced by leveraging different technologies. So to make an example, uh, a, a common stream could be um, you receive like some trending content first, then you receive some content that is very specific for you, then some content that is uh, liked by the people like you, then some content that is uh, more general news, then some content that is funny. And the way that we uh, created this sequence uh, was basically driven by the journalist and how they basically know, okay, this is how we build the front page in a newspaper. There are probably the same ideas that we can apply to build a single stream. Um, so they gave us like the first um, the first idea of how we could uh, distribute the different types of news across the stream. And then uh, from a recommendation perspective, we took care of uh, filling up the slots in the best possible way. So many of them are um, many of them are generated uh, by leveraging um, Elasticsearch, which is um, a really nice technology for uh, that. Basically, is a, is a search engine and uh, does a lot of work uh, in terms of all the NLP stuff that is needed uh, to do content ranking. Um, but uh, we have also a slot that we place, uh, I don't remember which position, that is fully generated by um, collaborative, uh, um, collaborative filtering uh, system. So each of the slots is associated to a different method, to a different service, to a different uh, subset of the content that we could show to the user. And uh, yeah, this allows us to basically plug in and plug out different types of content and make a lot of experiments and in general it seems to work actually the user has a lot of engagement uh, in the app yeah and you you mentioned you use uh, i suppose look elastic it's it's elastic search for the clusters right the clusters is something that um, we are working on so the idea is that um, uh, we would like to uh, represent uh, users not as single entities anymore but as groups that uh, could potentially receive uh, the same content. So identify them as clusters rather than as single people. And in the future, then we can optimize the stream for clusters rather than for single uh, individuals, which is more effective. Elasticsearch um, is more the technology that we use to store all the articles. And then it provides a really simple way for us uh, to say, okay, I want to get now all articles that are about this and that topic um, that um, are fresh, that uh, that comes from these and that publisher, run the query and then we get back a ranked list that usually fulfills the criteria that we want to have. So on one side, it's just basically a database that we use to fetch content uh, with a, in a way that really fits our purposes. On the other hand, the clustering that we just mentioned is a new technology that we are developing now to optimize the system that we currently have. Just to wrap it up, uh, currently we deliver one new stream per user. In the future, we want to deliver one new stream per cluster. 
Oh, look, that's that's really good. And look, I think just in terms of time, um, Nicola, look, that kind of takes us up up to the end. Maybe we can we can jump on again and go through some more information because we've been we've been pretty packed here. Um, but look, you are listening to the AI in Action podcast. Uh, today's guest was Nicola, who is the head of data with Update. Nicola, thank you for for being on the show. It was great having you. Thank you for your insights. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. AI in Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. For more information, contact mark at aldus.com. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all the members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.